Well, thank you, choir and Mark. That was, uh, I love that song. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel. And we're going to be in chapter 20, but we're going to start in chapter 19. And you'll see why in just a few moments. And while you're turning, I'll give you a little recap of where we are in the account of David and biblical history. It has been 10 years, maybe a little more, but at least 10 years since David has committed adultery and covered it up with murder. And he has confessed his sin. God has forgiven him, but you have noticed, if you've been in these Sunday morning messages in 2 Samuel, you notice that David has been brutalized by the consequences of his sin, and really that is an understatement, especially upon his family. His family has not escaped the sword. His children have, have rebelled against their father. And against their father's real values. Adultery and, and, and that sin doesn't need to mark David. Neither does um, killing Goliath. We, we've said it before. You know, sometimes a person can do one outstanding thing in his life. And that just marks him. That's what he's remembered for. Or he can do something as sinful and as wicked as what David did with Bathsheba and murder. And that's what he's remembered for. And you know it's true because if I were to ask you, what do you know about David? Some of you would say David and Goliath. And the pessimist would say David and Bathsheba. But um, there's a whole lot more to David than that. And we're going to get into some of that in, in some weeks to come. But David was a man after God's own heart, and he was consistent in his spiritual growth, even though he failed, and even though he suffered the harsh consequences of his sin, in, especially with his family. But as you know, it all winds up with the ultimate rebellion of Absalom, and Absalom is now dead. Despite Joab's, despite David's passionate plea, deal gently with the young man Absalom, Joab, David's general, murders him. He was a neutralized enemy, and Joab murdered him. And David is now returning to Jerusalem to get back on the throne. Now, I said it. Before, and I want to say it again, David, you cannot forget, David is a man after God's own heart. People ask, well, how could he have sinned so grievously while being a man after his own heart? Come back in about three weeks and I'll answer that question. But he is a man after God's own heart. And God is dealing with David, shaping David, building David chastising, disciplining him, doing a work in his life, sanctifying him just like he does 
us who are in Christ Jesus. And David, in recent weeks, we have seen tidbits of how he has been marked by spiritual growth. Well, we see it again in our text. You might remember when David fled Jerusalem because Absalom was coming in and claiming the throne. And David had to flee because he feared for the lives of of the people in Jerusalem and even his own life. And you remember he left ten of his concubines behind in Jerusalem to keep the house. Do you all remember that? We, We just commented on that just a little bit. Well, now David is coming back to Jerusalem, and he gets into the city of Jerusalem, and I want you to look at chapter 20, verse 3. This is the first sermon today. And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in ward, and fed them, but went not in unto them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living in widowhood. Now, in our day and time, that sounds like it's very cruel. But back then, this was David being gracious. Now, these women would not have been received well in that culture at all. They were David's concubines, then they were assaulted by Absalom in public. And so this was a very gracious thing. You just got to put yourself in that culture and, and understand this. But there's a deeper lesson than this. Now we're going to do a little test. On March the 12th, last year, I preached a sermon entitled, The Dangers of Acceptable Sin, David and His Wives. How many of you remember that sermon? You get to get out when everybody else gets out. As a matter of fact, when we dismiss, you get to leave the building first, okay? So everybody sit back for these three people who just raised their hand. But we talked about it, uh, Andy just raised his hand, okay. But we talked about how David began to take on concubines and multiple wives, just doing what the culture did. And that made it very easy for him to give way to the temptation of Bathsheba. One sin, even though it's acceptable, leads to another one that's not so acceptable. But God says, I don't accept any one of them. Well, now, after all these ten years, a decade, David is returning back to Jerusalem, and he doesn't go in to these concubines to prove that he's back as king. As a matter of fact, he's through with concubines. He's finished. No doubt When he is on his way back to Jerusalem and wondering what he's going to do, he's thinking that acceptable sin to the culture wasn't acceptable to God and it led to deeper sin, harsher sin, greater sin. I'm done with it. I'm not going back. I'm getting rid of my concubines as graciously as we can. When I was in Uganda, we would talk with the pastors, and one of the pastors asked a question. 
he said, my question is, is since I've become a Christian, which wife do I keep? He came out of Islam and he had multiple wives. And he said, which wife do I keep? And I said, the answer to that question is so easy, I'm going to let George answer it. <laughs> no, basically the answer to the question is, is you keep the first one, but you take care of the others and the children you had by them. Sin is costly. And I don't know what that brother did. I, when I go back, I'll see. But uh, David was finished with concubinage. No more. He had grown in the Lord. He had learned by the chastisement of God that that is not what he needs to do. Let me ask you something. Were there once things you used to do without thought now that you've grown a little bit and been chastised and been disciplined by the Lord, you don't do anymore? Well, that's David. And so he's a man after God's own heart. He's on the right track. And he's growing, and he's developing in his faith, and he's not what he used to be. His heart is beating stronger after the Lord. Just like yours will if you're saved. You'll grow in the Lord. Saved people grow. Living things grow. And you will grow in your sanctification to the Lord. And those sins, acceptable, not acceptable, harsh, deep, Shallow, whatever, little, little ones, big ones, whatever you think they are, you will grow out of them by this work of God in your life, steadily growing. That's what David did, and that's what we see, and so he's through with them. You would think, though, that after all he'd been through, that life would just get easier. I imagine David said, I'm going to get back to Jerusalem and I'm going to sit in my recliner and just relax. I'm going to turn off my cell phone and just chill out for a while after all this decade of tragedy in my life. Well, he does, and then all of a sudden somebody calls him on the landline. He's on his way back to Jerusalem, and this is what happens. Look at verse 41 of chapter 19. And behold, all the men of Israel came and said unto the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen thee away and have brought the king and his household and all David's men with him over Jordan? And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is near of kin to us. Wherefore then, why are you angry for this matter? Have you eaten at all of the king's cost, or have he, has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel, and that means the tribes that weren't Judah. These are all Jews, they're all Israelites, but the men of Israel are the people who aren't of the tribe of Judah. And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king. There's ten of us tribes. And we have more right in David than you do. And why in the world would our advice be despised in bringing our king back? And the last phrase says, And the words of the men of Judah were fiercer 
than the words of the men of Israel. So David is coming back to be king. The nation is, is still reeling from the uh, rebellion. There's been repentance. There's been a desire to bring David back. And all of a sudden, a disagreement starts. All of a sudden, there's conflict. And ten of the tribes are mad at one of the tribes. And they start hollering and debating and carrying on and uh, no telling what all was said. But, but the Bible says the men of Judah had harsher, fiercer words than the men of Israel. And they just had a falling out. It's, it's just very telling of the old Division between the tribes. It stretches all the way back to, to the days of Joshua, this division of the tribes. And, and this, this distrust between Israel and Judah. It's going to pop up again in desperate measures when Solomon dies, as we will see one of these days. But right now you see the, the fermentation of it. There's great division. And then, as in all cases of division in everything, a nation, a church, a business, a family, verse, chapter 1, verse 20 pops up, or chapter 20, verse 1, and there happened to be there a man of Belial whose name was Sheba. The devil has his providence. And when his people are starting to get into conflict, he happens to have his guy right there all the time. There's always the pot stirrer. Amen. There's always the one who's going to throw gasoline on a fire that needs to die out. The Bible says he's the son of Belial. That means uh, you might have it translated worthless, and that's a good translation. Uh, it means to be wicked. It means to be of no account, not good for anybody. So wicked, and you're not good for anything. And he wasn't good for Israel. And he leads what is called the Sheba Rebellion, or the Rebellion of Sheba. And so I call this message, or let me correct myself, my red-headed saxophone-playing wife calls this the rebel within meets lady wisdom. That was uh, her agreement with me on the way to church, what to title this message. I, I just had it titled something boring, but she wanted the rebel within meets lady wisdom. How many of you men listen to your wives? Raise your hand. The rest of you, God bless you, we'll have marriage counseling uh, for $25 an hour starting on Thursday. Cole's going to be the leader, I can't help you. But anyway, <laughs> let's look at the people involved in this rebellion and just see the rebel within us. See how it works. And then we'll meet Lady Wisdom here in a little bit. First, the character, of course, is this man named Sheba. And we learn that wickedness, 
will cause a rebellion. David has crossed the river. After the end of Absalom's revolt, some very faithful followers are with him, but there's conflict. And um, this man shows up in the midst of the conflict. David has already said, I know many of you followed Absalom. I forgive you. I restore you. I reconcile you back into the kingdom. But this man, this wicked man, is able to get in there and cause a terrible ordeal of rebellion. Look at it with me and see. And there happened to be there a man of Belial, whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no part in David. Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel went up from after David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah clave unto their king from Jordan, even to Jerusalem. So this man was able to sever the tribes again. Back when Saul was king, it was uh, when and David, David became king and Saul had died, there was a severance, there was a civil war. Well, now it looks like they're back to that again. Another war is coming. And David is, I know, very nervous. It's real interesting to me that David doesn't speak while this is going on. I don't know why he didn't speak. But um, this man named Sheba, this Worthless man, good for nobody, good for nothing. He's not good for Israel, nor is he good for Judah. He speaks. And I want to share with you what prompts a rebellion in your heart. And there's three things this man did. He's a master at causing a rebellion. Look at three things. First of all, he creates division by taking advantage of their emotions. They were mad. Judah had um, left them out. Judah had just taken it upon themselves to bring David back and excluded the ten tribes. And when they got to arguing, did you notice, you might have noticed Judah, the people of Judah looked at them and said, Hey, has David given us any surprises? Has he given us any gifts? That was a slap on the men of Israel, especially the tribe of Benjamin, where Sheba was from, because when Saul became king, he said, if you follow me, I'll give you lands and houses and positions. And these men said, well, David didn't do that for us. You're mad because you're not getting away, and the emotions are running high. Well, emotions are easily able to overcome facts. And that's what creates a rebellion. Many rebellions are, over, are, are, are prompted by our emotions. For example, uh, the fact was is David was king. He was king. God said he is king. No rebellion had ever been successful. None. Absalom wasn't successful. Ishbosheth wasn't successful. 
It's just not going to happen. That's a fact. But in their emotions, these guys said, we might be able to make Sheba king. And then uh, another thing is, is they said, um, uh, we have no part in David. That's what Sheba said. But the whole nation of Israel had just said, we have ten parts in David. But their emotions were running high. Friend, I want to tell you something. Don't ever make spiritual decisions based on the emotions. Make sure it's the facts of God's word. Another thing he did was he criticized the king. He said, we have no part in David. David's not going to care for us. But the fact is, he had just granted them all a pardon. He had just forgiven them. And so they will criticize leadership. And then he calls them to arms. He says, every man to his tent. Every man to his tent. Now, that doesn't mean let's go home. They didn't live in tents. They lived in houses. Every man to his tent is a euphemism, a Hebraism, which basically means I'm calling you to arms. We're going to be on the march, and we're going to set up camp. And we're going to be on the, in the fields of battle in our tents getting ready for battle. So Sheba had a call to arms. You know, the, a rebel will never give you peace or opportunities for peace. Always stirring you up. Always um, calling you to arms, to be on a battlefield. Now, this is an example of what can happen in any organization. You know, there was a word not too long ago, I hadn't heard it in a while, but they said, watch out for toxic people. You don't want toxic people in your organization. You don't want rabble-rousers in your organization. I don't want them in the church, amen? I don't want them in my family. I don't want them anywhere. But they can sure... Be rebellious and, and get people's emotions high regardless of the facts. And, of course, we're in the church. We have the Word of God to guide us, not our emotions. And so th this can happen in, in organizationally, but also can happen in your heart. You can rebel against God in your heart and, and run on what feels good or what, what makes you think you're, you're, you're uh, being able to express yourself. And it's all emotional, and there's, it's not based upon the Word of God, and it's a call to arms. This is what the devil will put into your heart, and uh, he'll use wicked people to do it. That's what he did to the people of Israel, and, and Sheba was right there on the spot. So we see that wickedness will cause a rebellion. But there's something else. We learn of two characters here, one named Amasa and the other named Abishai. And there we learn weakness will continue a rebellion. Now look at verse 4. We've already covered verse 3. Look at verse 4. Then said the king to Amasa, Assemble me the men of Judah within three days, and be thou here present. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. Now, we have an awful situation here, we're going to see. It's, it's very brutal. Uh, but you might remember a Mesa. 
when the rebellion of Absalom was over and David was returning to Jerusalem, he knew, he knew that he needed to, to reconcile with the people of Judah who had betrayed him. He was offering forgiveness and he needed, he needed to show them some grace. His general Joab, the loose cannon, had already murdered Joab. David wanted Joab out. And so he looks at Amasa. Now Amasa was the man that Absalom had as his general. This was Absalom's general. Joab was David's general. Amasa was the rebel's general. He was wanting to kill David. And so when it's all over with, and by the way, Amasa was a terrible, terrible uh, general. You don't want this guy in the Pentagon. He had lost 20,000 men and the woods killed most of them. He wasn't a good commander. You, you military men, I know we've got to, you know, it's the rank and not the man, but my soul, this would drive a military man to his knees, wouldn't it? Go ahead. But Amasa was a rebel. And David says, Amasa, Joab's out. You are now my commanding officer. You, you're, you're the general of the army. You're, um, you're the man. And so he sends Amasa out. He says, we've got to deal with this quick because I've been with these rebellions before. We've got to deal with this quick. And so Amasa, you've got three days. Now, you've got to understand, when, they're, when they're, they cross the Jordan, they're coming back to Jerusalem, the men of Judah all rallied around David, and they're on their way back home. And these men, just, they just, they just kind of go on their way. They go home. They're no longer... Um, uh, walking in March step with David back to Jerusalem. They pass by their little town. They say, well, I'm, I'm off, and they go home. And so all the men of Judah are back at their homes. And David has this rebel start up, Sheba, and he says, we got to rally the army again. So Amasa, you go get the army. you got three days to do it. And he goes through all the towns of Judah, and they won't follow him. He can't get them to go back to battle. He, he just can't do it. You see, he was weak because he lacked credibility. This was the man who was Absalom's general. David probably made an error in judgment when he appointed Amasa as general. His men wouldn't follow him. You know, if you're a leader and you don't have any followers, you're not a leader. And so... He just couldn't get them rallied. Somebody said that the men of Judah loved to say how much they loved David, but when it came to fight for him, they backed off. Well, nonetheless, Amasa didn't have any credibility. And it was a sad day. And so when it came time three days later to report to the king with the army, Amasa didn't show up. Things are dangerous now. But look what David does in verse 6. And David said to Abishai. Now you might remember Abishai. He's one of my favorite characters in all of 2 Samuel. You say, well preacher, I don't know about that. Isn't he the one who wanted to kill people and David had to calm him down? And he wanted to kill Saul and David had to calm him down? Preacher, he's just like a hothead to me. Well, I like hotheads. Amen. I, I don't mind hothead as long as they're... They're, you can throw ice on them. 
And, and Abishai is one of these men. He's going to show up in a couple of weeks, and you're going to be impressed. He's Joab's brother, David's nephew, Amasa's cousin. And he looks at Abishai, and he says to Abishai, Abishai, Sheba, the son of Bichri, is going to do us more harm than Absalom did. Take thou the Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. And there went out after him Joab's men and the Cherethites and the Pelethites and the mighty men, and they went out of Jerusalem pursued after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And so we see Abishai. We see him... The new general, Amasa's AWOL. We don't know where he is. And Abishai is given command. Abishai, though, was weak because he lacked courage. Did you notice that the Bible says right here, and they went out after him, Joab's men. David was excluding Joab. Joab had already murdered three people that David wanted alive. And so Joab is just kind of getting, he's getting put off to the side. He, David says, I'm not going to offer you a contract next year, so I might as well just put you aside. And he puts him aside. And Abishai is in charge. And he lacks some courage, as we will see. So... Folks, here we see the importance of growing spiritually in the strength of the Lord. You, you can't give rebellion in your heart time to fester. you, you got to Barney Fife it. What am I talking about, old timers? Nip it in the bud. See, I have a spiritual church. They're watching Barney Fife you got to nip it in the bud. you got to end it. David said, we can't let this thing fester. It'll be worse and get worse and be more problem than Absalom was. And so he had to nip it in the bud. And, and you know, you can't do that without growing spiritually. And, and these men were weak, and they needed to grow. And so be strengthened in the Lord. Be in the Word of God. Gain credibility as a witness for Christ. And be strong in the Lord. Then we learn to come to a third character, Joab and his willfulness. That will complicate a rebellion. Let's read what happens. So they're on their way marching to find Sheba. They're, they're doing a nationwide search for Sheba. And they arrive by a landmark called the Great Stone of Gibeon. And Amasa shows up. I don't know how many men he has with him. He might have a hundred. He might have a thousand. I don't know. But it says when they were at the Great Stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa went before them. They look ahead, and there's Amasa. And Abishai says, well, there he is. I wonder where he's been. And Joab was with them. Now, Joab shouldn't have been with them. But, you know, there's just some people who don't get it. Amen. Joab, they just, they're all about themselves. And they just keep forcing themselves. 
forcing themselves over and over again. And they're, they, they're self-exerting. And Joab is there. And Joab's garment that he had put on was girded unto him. And upon it a girdle with a sword. Now that tells us right there he was in battle clothing. And look what he did. Now this is awful. I'm glad the children aren't in here. This would give them nightmares. And at a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins and the sheath thereof. And as he went forth, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. That's how they greeted one another. We're not going to do that here. We're going to shake hands. But they were going to greet one another. But Amasa took no heed of the sword that was in Joab's hand. So he smote him therewith in the fifth rib and shed out his bowels to the ground and struck him not again. Now, in other words, that wasn't an immediately fatal blow. He was letting Abishai wallow in his own guts. And he died eventually. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And one of Joab's men stood by him and said, He that favors Joab and he that is for David, let him go after Joab. And Amasa wallowed in blood in the midst of the highway. And when the man saw that all the people stood still, that same soldier who hollered out for Joab, he removed Amasa out of the highway into the field and cast a cloth upon him. And he saw that everyone that came by him stood still, when, when he saw that everyone was standing still. And when he was removed out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. But they did so under Joab's leadership. So there you see the weakness of Abishai. Abishai should have stood up and said, Joab, you are not king. This is my appointment. Joab, you shouldn't even be here. And so Abishai lacked some courage. And that was his weakness, as you see. Joab was a self-centered, self-willed man. He never had the interest of David in his heart. He, he was a vicious, brutal man. When during the Ishbosheth rebellion and civil war, Ishbosheth's general Abner came and sued for peace with David. David reconciled with him. Joab murdered Abner. And then we see when Absalom rebelled, David pled with him and said, I want my son to live. Be gentle with him. Joab murdered Absalom. And now he murders Amasa. He is a brutal, self-willed man who will not stop a rebellion. He just complicates it. He just makes it worse. He just makes it worse. Now what he did was, was devious. Let me tell you something. This is my thoughts on this passage. And um, this is what I think what happened. He had on his battle clothes, whatever that looked like. He was a man of war. One thing about it, Joab never lost a fight. I mean, this guy, I mean, if you don't care about ethics, put him out there. Put him out there. 
But, I mean, he never lost a fight. He's somebody was a force to be reckoned with. I believe that he dropped his sword on purpose. He saw Amasa up ahead, and he pulled out that sword and dropped it on purpose and reached down and picked it up and didn't put it back in his sheath so he could have it in his hand and disembowel Amasa when he reached to kiss him. He was a sneaky snake, a sneaky snake. You might say, well, he was a guy who really got the job done, but it was always in the wrong way, and many times it's the wrong job. Let me tell you something, folks. You do the right job in the wrong way, one day it's going to be the wrong job. Matter of fact, most of the time. And so he was a willful man who complicated the rebellion. Why didn't David stop him? I, I, you know, that, that has been asked of me since we've been in 2 Samuel. What's up with David and Joab? Why didn't David say, Joab, you're out. Get out. I'm going to execute you so you're not around anymore. Why, why didn't David do anything? Well, do you remember when David sinned with Bathsheba? He wrote a letter. And the letter said, Dear Joab, Put Bathsheba's husband on the front line where he's sure to get killed. Well, I imagine old Joab had that letter in his coat pocket. He had something on David, didn't he? But you know what? Even with that, David could have done something about it. But he didn't. Folks, listen. Whatever sins you committed, people may have something against you. People may be able to point the finger at you and say, I remember what you did. I remember what you did. But I want to tell you, what in the world does that matter? Well, that's exactly where it matters, in this world that is passing away. Because in heaven, if you have the forgiveness of God, you have the forgetfulness of God, and it's gone. Just do right. Do right, because you are under the grace of God. And the blood we sing about has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Look more of your standing before God than your standing before men, and you won't have to worry about your Joabs. Amen? That's good preaching, and if you were any kind of Baptist, you'd say amen. amen. Next time, I don't want to have to ask you. <laughs> Joab's willfulness. And then, Joab's in charge. Now, Joab is in charge for... A lot longer, I mean, through the rest of David's reign. David doesn't do anything about it until he's on his deathbed. And he tells Solomon. He says, Solomon, you need to be nice to the sons of Bezaliel, the old man that helped me. And remember, Solomon gave Kim Ham the family farm. And then he said, and then there's Joab, Solomon. I don't want you to have to deal with Joab like I had to deal with him. And then he said some telling words. He said, do not let his gray head go to the grave in peace. And Solomon ordered his execution. And Solomon, the executioner, we're going to learn who the executioner is in a couple of weeks, one of my heroes. He's some kind of a man. He shows up and Joab runs into the tabernacle and he's grabbed a hold of the altar. And he's executed on the altar. 
Joab will have his day, dear friend. You don't want to be a Joab. You see, there's an old saying. You're either a solution to the problem or you're a part of the problem. Joab was always part of the problem, even though he would claim to be a part of the solution. Willfulness will complicate a rebellion. And then we come to the sermon. This is where we want to be. I, when I get to heaven, I want to meet this dear, dear lady that we're going to read about now. Verse 14, and he went through all the tribes of Israel unto Abel and to Beth Makah and all the Berites, and they were gathered together and went also after him. Apparently he's talking about Sheba. And Sheba is on the run and he goes to Berioth and some of those people follow him. Sheba was not very successful in uh, gathering an army for his rebellion. Thank the Lord. And uh, he had some but it wasn't a mass movement that David had feared it would be. And he flees to a city of Abel, the city of Abel. And then verse 15 says, and they came, that's Joab and his army. They came and besieged him in Abel in Bethmachah. And they cast up a bank against the city. And it stood in the trench. And all the people that were with Joab battered the walls to throw it down. So they, they built an embankment so they could run up the embankment and jump over the wall. It was a walled city. And they start getting battering rams to batter down the gates of the city. Joab means business. I mean, he's getting after it. He is hammering on the walls of this city. He means business. As wicked as he is, he's getting after it. And then verse 16. This is where the rebel meets up with Lady Wisdom. Look what happens. Then cried a wise woman out of the city. Hear, hear, say I, I pray you unto Joab, come near hither that I may speak with thee. And when he was come up near unto her, the woman said, are you Joab? And he answered, I am. Then she said unto him, hear the words of your handmaid. And he answered, I hear you. Speak, I've got work to do. Then she spake saying, they that were of old time used to say, If you need wisdom, go to Abel and seek wisdom. If you needed counsel, go to the city of Abel. We're a city of wise persons. I am one of them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel, and you seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? The last time we heard the phrase mother in Israel was a reference to Deborah, the judge. And... Joab answered and said, far be it from me, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. But the matter is not so. I'm not just here to wipe out a city. But a man of Mount Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, has lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. He's fled into your city. If you will deliver him up, I will depart from the city. 
And the woman said unto Joab, I like this lady. Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you, I like a lady who takes care of business. Amen. We'll get it done. Then the woman went unto all the people and in her wisdom. Notice how many times the word wisdom is attached to this lady. And they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it out to Joab. And he blew a trumpet, and they retired from the city, every man to his tent. And Joab returned to Jerusalem under the king. He could go back to the house. Lady wisdom meets the rebel. Wisdom will cease a rebellion. We don't know this lady's name. But I want to I show you why I call you, call her Lady Wisdom. Remember, there's a young boy, a kid, by the name of Solomon. He's back there in Jerusalem. He's David's son by Bathsheba, remember that? And Nathan the prophet has indicated... That the will of God is for Solomon to grow up and be king. Not any other David's son. There's there's one who tried. Absalom didn't work. There's one more who's going to try. It's not going to work. But Solomon is going to become the king. Solomon's going to grow up and he's going to write three books. When he's a young man, he's going to write the song of Solomon. That's a love song. He's a young man in love. And when he's a middle-aged man, uh, he's, he's going to write Proverbs. And when he's an old man, he's going to write Ecclesiastes. And I'm sure that the Holy Spirit used his upbringing and the things he heard and experienced. Can you imagine growing up in the palace of David and on the run with David when Absalom was against him, your older brother? Can you imagine what he saw, what he experienced, what he heard in that palace? And I wonder if when he wrote Proverbs chapter 8, what we call Proverbs chapter 8, if he thought about this report from Joab about this wise woman. Let me read to you Proverbs 8, just a few verses. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She stands in the top of high places by the way in the places of the paths. She cries at the gates. Didn't that that woman cry in high place, the wall and at the gates? At the coming in at the doors. At the coming in at the doors. Wasn't Joab trying to beat down and come in the doors? And this woman stood up and said, I need to talk to Joab. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple, understand wisdom, and you fools be of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. Verse 34 of this same proverb chapter. Blessed is the man that hears me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoso findeth me finds life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sins against me wrongs his own soul. All they that hate me love death. I wonder if old Solomon thought of that lady in the city of Abel. Now, gentlemen... In the Bible, wisdom is often compared to and personified as a woman. That ought to tell us something. One preacher, an old-time preacher on this text, 
talked about the men of this city. How come it wasn't a man being the spiritual leader? And uh, it was really a pretty tough sermon, so I'm going to let Cole preach that one of these days. (laughs) But I want to tell you something. This was a wise, godly woman. Thank God for godly women. I think about these young people, and, 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 and I know most of their families, and I think of their wonderful, godly, wise mothers who would want them to be safe. And so what's the message today? If you got a rebellion in your heart, you're harboring some sin in your heart. You're rebelling against the king, and you need to get it right. Let me share something with you. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit is battering down your walls. He's harassing you, for lack of a better word. Building boards. He's not going to leave you alone. And the wisdom of the Holy Spirit says, that rebel within you, you need to cut its head off and throw it over the wall. You need to confess your sin and slay it and get rid of it or the Holy Spirit's going to storm your walls down. The end of sin conceived is death. You need to confess that sin. Dear friend, maybe you're not a Christian. You're not saved. And I want to tell you now you have this impulse. I want to tell you what that is. You're you're knowing something's missing. You're knowing something's not right. You've got sin in your life and it dominates you and you know it. That's the beginning of a rampart against you. That's the battering ram of the Holy Spirit within you, the heart. And wisdom is calling you to repentance. Why don't you cut the rebel's head off, repent, throw it over the wall, and just come to Christ today and receive forgiveness of your sin. Wisdom will cease. It is a fool's thing. That lady wisdom in Proverbs 8 says... Anybody who hates me loves death. It's a fool who disregards the wisdom of God in terms of our sin. I pray you will come to Jesus. I pray you will come to Jesus. Dear Christian, I pray you just confess your sin, repent. Let him cleanse you and restore you to fellowship. Get peace again with the king. Get peace again with the king. Amen and amen. Let's stand for our song of appeal.